The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So as we continue this meditation, see if you can bring to mind your capacity for tenderness or warmth towards others. Perhaps in the way that you would be with a dear friend or a young child. Or a dear relative. A place within where you're capable of feeling tenderness and warmth. Able to feel empathy, care. Where in your body Do you feel this tenderness, this warmth? What parts of your being get activated, get energized when you feel, when you're with someone or you think of someone and you feel goodwill circumstances, what situations, what ways of being or states of being, are you most likely to have goodwill? A kind friendliness, even to strangers. situations, how would you, what are the conditions for you to be tender or warm-hearted, friendly or kind, even before you meet someone, just that you, it's there. And how is it felt within you? Is, is it in fact a kind of warmth or is it a radiance or a tenderness? Or is it kind of an open feeling of the mind? Or is it thoughts or images of kindness?
And if you breathe <clears throat> with this warm place or this kind attitude, breathe, be in your body, feel it. Let the rhythm of breathing somehow support or fan a place of tenderness or warmth or goodwill within you. And then I'm going to say a phrase. As you listen to this phrase, <clears throat> see if there's anything inside of you that resonates or is, comes alive as you hear it. I'll repeat it a number of times. Maybe you hear it through your heart, hear it with your mind. Hear it with your body. See what happens as you hear this. May all beings be happy and have the conditions for happiness. May all beings be happy and have the conditions for happiness. May all beings everywhere be happy and have the conditions for happiness. And perhaps as a radiance or a warmth that glows from you, or an image of light, golden light or warm light, or an image of people, beings everywhere, 
or as thoughts or memories that support this idea. Very quietly repeat these phrases to yourself, this phrase, and see what happens inside of you as you repeat it. May all beings be happy and have the conditions for happiness. What response happens inside of you with a simple phrase, idea. May all beings be happy and have the conditions for happiness. And to end this sitting, see if you can breathe gently with whatever connection you have inside to goodwill, to kindness to tenderness, warmth, so that as you open your eyes, 
<clears throat> and end the sitting and change your posture. It's ever so slightly, you stay in touch with that place, feeling it. Welcome to our Dharma practice day. And um, these days are meant to kind of stand on their own, but also be part of a series. And the series for this year is the Brahma Viharas, the four forms of, um, lo- I call them love, that are championed by Buddhism. It's kind of the virtues which are social virtues, so social attitudes which are most emphasized in Buddhist practice. And the four are the attitudes or of, of uh, metta, karuna, mudita, and upekka, usually translated into English as loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And um, so what we're doing over this next month is that once a month uh, we'll do, um, we'll focus on these qualities. But the idea of two months at each one, so two months on the loving-kindness, two months of compassion, two months on sympathetic joy, and then equanimity. And uh, so uh, we've already done uh, one month on loving-kindness, and today we'll do uh, the second month. And um, for those of you who are new to these Dharma practice days, uh, they are meant to be a chance to uh, practice, explore, discuss uh, particular aspects of Buddhist practice with the idea that often we learn more deeply when we have a chance to have exercises around topic but also when we can be in conversation with our fellow practitioners. Sometimes when you hear yourself talk you actually learn more about yourself and kind of understand something deeper than if you uh, just read it, for example, and think it. Uh, you get reflected, you hear yourself, you hear what other people have to say and that reflects back to you and gives you ideas and supports. And this is the way that uh, Dharma practice down through the century has often unfolded as people have had conversations with the other monastics in the monastery or other practitioners. So it's kind of replicating what's been a long tradition. So uh, there'll be some little bit of teaching, little bit of meditation, little bit of discussion, exercises through the day. Um, Sometimes the exercises or discussions are done in pairs, sometimes in small groups, in different ways. Uh, sometimes it's quite personal, the discussion, sometimes not so, and there's all different ways to explore it. And um, <clears throat> the, um, so the topic today is, oh, so the way that these two months and each topic is divided is that the first to- uh, month the idea is to focus more on how the, these forms of love are practiced in the suttas, in the dis, ancient discourses of the Buddha. Um, and then the second month, to introduce to you how they're discussed in, in, a, in the, one of the most important manuals for meditation or practice in Theravada Buddhism, 
which is called the Path of Purification. It was a manual that was written about a thousand years after the Buddha. And it, uh, in many ways, Theravadan Buddhism, the Buddhism that Southeast Asia that we come out of, um, went through this funnel or this uh, hourglass narrow of this particular book called The Path of Purification. It's a really fat book and it has all kinds of uh, uh, teachings on meditation, on Buddhist practice. And, um, and so it became foundational for our tradition, but it's different from what the early Buddhist tradition has. So some people now are going back to the early Buddhist tradition and relying on that and bypassing this famous book. But the practices of uh, viharas of loving-kindness, for example, that are familiar with us in our tradition come from this book, The Path of Purification. So last month we did more of the sutta-based approach to loving-kindness, and today it's a little bit more of the, the, this, from this ancient manual. <clears throat> and... Um, so um, someone uh, recently sent me <clears throat> an article from the Scientific American on <clears throat> a research people are doing on uh, meditation. It's an article written by uh, Richard Davidson's and uh, uh, Richard, uh, what's, it, uh, um, what's his name, the, the, the French monk, Matthew, Matthew Ricard, and, and also um, Antoine Lutz. <clears throat> so three researchers who've been doing, um, involved with doing brain scans, excuse me, So they've been taking people who have been meditating for a very long time and putting them through different exercises of meditation and measuring their brains. And this article, they report about a researcher who uh, had people do meditations on empathy and compared that with people who did meditations on love and compassion. And they found that it was only empathy... Uh, and they subjected the people to some kind of distressing human suffering, like they saw in a video or something of people suffering. Um, if they only cultivated their empathy, those people got more stressed out. They kind of didn't feel so good. But if they cultivated love and compassion, there was uh, actually less stress and more sense of well-being that came from the contact with uh, someone else's suffering. And um, so empathy by itself... It just means to feel someone else's feelings, feel what's going on with someone. But there's no sense of empowerment, no sense of engagement, no sense of involvement uh, uh, from you. It's just kind of passive, just feeling. And it, to me, it makes some sense that if you only passively feel someone else's distress or trouble, that it's kind of troubling, you know, you want to do something. But if you actually have an attitude, or even just the attitude of it, of wanting to make a difference, wanting to help, wanting to alleviate that suffering, just that attitude, independent of actually doing something, is beneficial. And the people who experience that, do that kind of practice, don't feel. Um, so then the researcher, in order to test this out further, she uh, taught people both. She, so first, it was two groups, just empathy and just love and compassion. Then she took someone and, and, said, and, and taught them both. Taught them how to have more empathy and how to have more love and compassion. You know, both and subjected them to, to someone who was suffering. <laughs> and they also felt some more sense of well-being and compassion and good. So, so, to, um, so, so these people doing the brain research, um, so the, uh, you don't have to f- understand what I'm about to read, but 
Um, um, the practice of compassion meditation produced more activity in areas such as the uh, temporal partial junction, the medial prefrontal cortex, and the superior temporal sulcus. <laughs> um, all typically activated when we put ourselves in the place of another. Isn't that kind of neat? There's a particular area in the brain that they've noticed that when you put yourself in the shoes of the other, that those get activated. Isn't that neat? It's just, it's just like, you know, the firing of the nerves in a particular way. Um, um, the secondary somatosensory and insular cortices known to participate in empathic and other emotional responses were more activated for, ex- for experts than controls in response to the distressed voice suggesting an enhanced ability to share the feelings of others without reporting any sign of becoming emotionally overwhelmed. So they, they, they studied people who'd done years and years of meditation on loving kindness and compassion and then, and then compared them to people who had not done that and what happened to them when they were, you know, had some kind of uh, ex- uh, experience of other people suffering and there was a big difference. So all to say that um, uh, our brains, this article says, our brains are plastic, our, neural con- our brains can be cultivated and developed, new neural connections can be made and sometimes it takes years to do that, but, it takes, uh, but sometimes it doesn't take long. Some of these experiments are just a week-long experiments where people are told, told basic mindfulness or basic compassion, and it makes a difference for the next six months for them in, in their response. So the brain, but these, you know, it has to do with neural pathways, not just attitudes or feelings or thoughts, but you cultivate and change yourself in a certain way. And, uh, and that affects your, how you uh, relate to other people, what happens to you. And so you become less of a victim of circumstances, but you're cultivating and develop in such a way that you can, your brain responds in beneficial ways to the world around you. Um, if you cultivate distress, that has one impact. If you cultivate compassion, then you have cultivate your great conditions inside of yourself and your brain for other kinds of responses. I think it was this article here said, uh, and gave the example of um, the different effect that a mother would have if the child was in hospital with some terrible medical condition and um, uh, if, the, if the mother was able to sit next to the child and just hold the hand of the child with compassion and care and warmth and it, without being, having any distress at all versus a mother's distress just pacing around the room kind of all upset and concerned that uh, those two scenarios would have a very, very different effect on the child who's laying in the hospital bed. And one probably is more beneficial, probably more healing, uh, because the stress levels we know we have have a big impact on our body's ability to heal. In fact, it's a... So this idea that we don't have to let our loving kindness, our compassion, our empathy be something that we just, just, you know, just is what it is, but we can cultivate and grow, we can develop it and we can do so actively, intentionally, um, and, uh, and, it, and it affects our, our, uh, the structure of our brains, or what gets activated, what gets developed in our brains. Um, they say that uh, they study people like, uh, you know, all kinds of people who do particular skills, and uh, if you have a particular skill that requires only using your thumb, the thumb centers in your brain get bigger. <laughs> So, um, you know, so whatever you do frequently. 
uh, affects you know your brain. So in Buddhism, um, there's a great emphasis on developing our capacity for loving kindness, for compassion, these things. And we don't just leave it to chance, we just don't leave it to be whatever is natively there, but we actually cultivate and develop this so it becomes a resource, a support, a condition for us in the future. And in uh, this little phrase I said earlier, may all beings be happy and have the conditions for happiness, uh, we can take some responsibility for putting together those conditions. Those conditions externally to some degree, conditions about how we behave and how we live, but also the conditions of, of, of the, we can condition our mind, our brain, and we can create better conditions for our brain um, so that uh, our responses to the world are something that uh, we want to have rather than hope to have. So, um, um, so in our tradition, this book called The Path of Purification gives a, very, a systematic way of cultivating and developing loving-kindness. And those, um, uh, some people find the systematic way too much technique-like, a little bit too forced. <clears throat> some people prefer something that's a little bit more uh, organic. Or the, What we did last week was the radiance of loving-kindness. It doesn't use words, doesn't use a technique, doesn't use a structure. Some people find having a structure works really well. It keeps them engaged, keeps them involved. And, um, and that's what uh, allows them to build these things over time. And um, so the classic way of doing uh, loving-kindness practice from this book, Path of Purification, is to use phrases. And uh, phrases of loving-kindness, would uh, there's usually a number of four phrases that are used, but uh, to say it very briefly would be uh, to say, may you or may I, may someone be happy, may all beings be happy. But before we go any further, um, I thought it'd be nice to uh, hear from some of you. Uh, what was it like to do that guided meditation that we did? Uh, what came up for you as, as I uh, ask you to reflect on these things? And, and I think it'd be nice to hear a few different voices to kind of set the stage for what we're doing here together as a group. And it'd be nice if you say your name first. Yeah, and talk into the top of the microphone. Um, good morning. My name is Farzani, and I uh, have to say the first thing, first tears started rolling down. And then I felt the warmth, and I felt that my body was just melting. Uh-huh. And um, that's it. Great. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. I have problems with the word happiness because of happy hour and um, happy hour. Yes, and um, all the um, other things. And people who have ill will are happy when they hurt someone. Mm. Um, so, yes, okay. so that got me off. That's that's good to hear. That that's important to get that out. Um, we did. Th- we have thought about for many years having happy hour at IMC, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we shouldn't. But the idea was that that would be that would be like a period in the late afternoon where we just do loving kindness practice. <laughs> but uh, so for you, so for you, the ev- evoking of this tenderness, the warmth, the goodwill, the phrases, the phrases of uh, "May all beings be happy," 
uh, as associations which uh, uh, evoke kind of concern, worry, kind of like not that, and all that. So I had to work through that. Sorry? So I had to work through that. Uh-huh. And uh, then I realized that the principle of life isn't really to be happy because you learn from your mistakes and and it seemed really boring if everything was happy. Mm. And so I'm working with that now. <laughs> so, so, so you have a certain resistance to the idea of happiness and being happy and, uh, and, and, uh, and the idea of promoting or supporting others to be happy is a little bit, uh, has some, some issues for you that... I, I, I like being at peace uh-huh. or, or um, free from pain and sorrow. Uh-huh. And I can do that for everyone. Mm. So it depends also what you mean by happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, happy-go-lucky is not probably what we mean. The, um, the word mahasukha, great happiness in Buddhism, uh, refers to enlightenment, refers to the profound peace that someone experiences. A deep sense of well-being. Maybe the maybe the maybe the expression well-being. May, oh, may yeah, all that beings have better. well-being. Yeah. That works better. That works a lot better right. for me. Okay. So if you hear the word happy, maybe in your mind you can just retranslate it to well-being. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I hadn't years ago. I hadn't realized. I was having trouble with happy, uh-huh. and uh, someone, um, one time in a, uh, a, a class, uh, one of the teachers used the word content, mm. um, and then that just sort of eased up mm. everything for me. I, nice. The content works nicely. Thank you. So other things from about that meditation practice? When I was uh, in the practice, I felt the same feeling as if I got a hug or was giving a hug or uh-huh. if, as if I was holding a baby mm-hmm. or as if I was petting an animal. Mm. I felt the same, that same warmth and connection. Mm, nice. The, the use of the phrase, the conditions of happiness... Yeah. That made a difference to me. There was an openness to the feeling that was involved in wishing people the conditions of happiness that was not quite as enclosing and cradling as wishing happiness to people, but wishing the conditions to happiness produced more of an energetic feeling in my body and a safer sort of not a need to protect anything. Uh So it was like, oh, yeah, the conditions of happiness. Then there's this great safety that happens. Great. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, well, today what I was noticing um, as I was, like, wishing happiness and, like, as usually I think I pay attention and kind of focus my energy on my heart to cultivate the feeling of connection. Um, and as you kind of like guided us, and it was like pay attention to what's happening, so kind of just like allowing what's happening, and I noticed I felt the energy more throughout my body, uh-huh. which was interesting. And also that there was like, um, instead of focusing on like kind of like 
the feeling of like love and connection when I allowed whatever was there, there was also like some sadness. Like, so there was like to wish happiness to everyone. There was like, um, I guess this like kind of feeling of like sadness, like there was suffering and there was kind of like this joy and like wishing freedom from that wishing happiness, wishing people to feel love and, and, and joy and freedom from their suffering. So there was like a feeling of like sadness also in my, in my wishing. Mm, yeah, I can well imagine that. So the, you know, the question then is, is, is sadness, is a way of relating to sadness that actually supports the care for others because if you feel a tenderness and you feel more empathy in some ways, more in their shoes, or there's a way of feeling that sadness and having it drown you, feeling like, oh no, and kind of like actually you feel left, less goodwill then. So maybe one more and then we'll... Um, I, I felt a definite, um, just more spacious inside and my breathing was easier and there was something about uh, the simplification, like it would... It, it, you know, when you evoke that sense of um, compassion, of, of simplification, you know, it's like always having these issues seem so complicated all the time, you know, and bring so much thinking and everything. But there's somehow cutting through that and making it simple is a, such a, re- a relief. Like, I last night I was looking at pictures out of West Africa and then I was reminded when we went to Cambodia, and the first morning that we went to do in Cambodia last year, our, our medical week, I, I was walking to the hospital grounds, and the sun came up, and then I, was, I could see it. There were just people who had been lined up for as far as you could see, waiting to see a medical person. And at that moment, it just like cuts through everything, and then evokes a sense of simplicity. There is so much suffering in this world. And there is nothing to do but be compassionate. It's just that simple. And it's kind of unburdening. Great. great. Thank you. Great. It was great to get that sense of what's going on, what the meditation was like. So that was a kind of a little bit of foundation for the day, our day together. And uh, so uh, the... the uh, the subject for today is metta. That's the Buddhist word. Um, and um, the question, one of the interesting questions is how to appropriately translate, how best to translate this into English. And uh, there are a number of uh, choices that different translators have used. And uh, what I'd like to do is to divide you into four groups and uh, have each group discuss for a little while a uh, 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 one of these choices that people do and then um, uh, come up with a, as a group with a one sentence definition of what this quality means in English. So in, independent of what you think it might mean in Buddhism, when you hear this word in English, what's the definition? How do you understand this word? And then we'll compare the four definitions of the four words. Is that okay? And um, so I'll divide you up into groups and then uh, whisper to each group the, the word. Four groups. Uh, I'll whisper to the groups uh, what their word is. I don't want the other, all the groups going to know the other groups because I'm afraid it's going to influence you unduly and you're 
<laughs> yeah, so, so what I thought we would do is um, just count up to four, and then you'll let, because we'll have four groups, so whatever number you have, that's your number of your group. So maybe we could start. Everyone has a number? Okay. So, um, why don't we have uh, one, the ones meet over here, and um, let's have the twos meet up on the stage, and uh, maybe we could have uh, the threes be by the door by the library there, because chairs you can bring out, and the, and the fours be over there by the, bring chairs out and put, put them over there by the hot water area. And we'll spread out a little bit. So why don't you go form your groups and then I'll go. So, um, in the few minutes before our break, it would be nice to hear some of those definitions. And uh, I thought it might be also nice to have it as a reference for today, to have it on, written there. And uh, I have this hint, that's a suspicion that some of your definitions are, don't lend themselves to a short sentence. <laughs> So I wonder if there's some um, very brave, impulsive person or someone who'd be willing to come up here and write down each definition or the gist of it. (laughs) And hopefully that gist will be good enough. You can do that? Great. Okay, so um, the first group, the word was, uh, is goodwill. So is, is the goodwill person here? Yes. Mike? So goodwill is wishing no harm, the opposite of ill will. Somehow we're not hearing. Is it on? It's on. My bad. Goodwill is wishing no harm, the opposite of ill will. Can occur naturally, but often involves intention and effort. Is there more? That's the definition. That's That's it. it. Great, great, wonderful. So let's see. So we're ready for the next one. So the next one is kindness. The kind group. Yes, Milo's the representative of the of kindness group. <laughs> accept our definition because we're on a stage. Let's see. So it's um, kindness is um, the capacity to respond from a state of heart that is gentle, compassionate, selfless. Simple, 
tender, <laughs> and supportive. Yeah, maybe just, read it again slowly. All right. <laughs> yeah, capacity to respond from a state of heart that is, and then we have a list. Gentle, compassionate, compassionate. selfless, selfless. <laughs> simple. simple, tender, and supportive. <laughs> Great, thank you. And so the next group, the word is friendliness. Is there a friendly group representative? Yes. Uh, Julie, can you bring it back to the back? Oh, it's coming. There. So, uh, friendliness projects um, uh, being open and welcoming to another person. Uh, um, a sense of safety, and it elicits a warm response without expectations. Uh, easy, it's easy to fake. Um, you don't I'll, have I'll, to I'll let, let people I'll, I'll in. Let, I'll let you. <laughs> so she's back to elicits. Yeah, of welcoming and, and open, being welcoming and open to another person. And it elicits um, a safe, uh, uh, warm response. There are no expectations. <laughs> and it can cause an instant change in attitude. <laughs> wait, 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 I think you got to start. start, start. <laughs> Poor Marilyn is trouble keep, she has trouble keeping up. So read it slowly again. Well, I'm sort of got little notes here so it, it doesn't come oh, out I the see. same uh, way every time. Okay, I see. <laughs> <laughs> so we had open, welcome, safety, and did I leave anything else? Elicits a warm response. No expectations. Easy to fake. <laughs> <laughs> and it creates a warm connection. <laughs> And can create an instant <laughs> change of attitude. It can create an instant change of attitude, being friendly. Great. Thank you very much. <laughs> so then the last group is loving kindness. But we'll wait until we're, Meryl has... On your mark, get set. Acceptance. 
<laughs> well, we'll be ending where we began. With ending where we began with goodwill, full circle, oh, nice. So, uh, so any comments about uh, just kind of what it's what it was like to do that, or maybe not. Maybe more important, what's, what was it like to hear all those words, and what what happened to you? What kind of response? Made you think? Uh-huh. I liked hearing all the words. It was stressful to try to come to agreement. <laughs> I almost lost loving kindness. <laughs> well, for me, hearing all of this, it just broadened the definition of or or what loving kindness means because it always seems so narrow i don't know what is loving kindness and now it's just like it is so many things that i can narrow it down to anything friendliness or acceptance or anything so it was really um it deepened my understanding of what metta is mm-hmm. nice that's nice I think part of what I really like in seeing this is, you know, when I think about loving kindness, it feels like a really broad concept. Um, And part of what really shines through with this is that there's actually a quality of decisive action with an intention behind it Mm -hmm. of, like, I am choosing to do this in this way, and it has this ripple effect. Um, And there's something about that that there's you're at choice with it, um, which is really kind of beautiful to me. Very nice. For me, it um, gave me a lot more options because I, uh, I struggle with that loving kindness because it's clear to me I don't feel loving towards everyone at all times. And that, so that bar seems way too high and, and seems a bit artificial, frankly. So um, this gives me a lot more options. I mean, I can be friendly towards... The people you don't like. Yeah, that's right. Or, or to, yes, towards people that I don't like. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I think this is very important that we, we can't override necessarily our reactions, response to people's. I mean, some people uh, are unpleasant to be around. I mean, there's, you can't kind of argue around that sometimes. But you can have a goodwill, you can have a friendly attitude, you can wish them well. Um, uh, and, in, you know, in addition to whatever response you have, but it might be hard to love them. But uh, so somehow lowering the bar, I think, is very helpful, and um, and also getting a set, getting a sense of the wide range. And so I, I'm struck uh, over and over again by how diverse our psychology is. All the different people, you know, different people, and different people have different words, different concepts. They function, they work differently, and so different. Um, Words, different concepts resonates better than other than for other people. Maybe their background, their how they learned English, who who what 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 important people in their lives use certain words. Um, whether it had a sense of obligation and duty, you had a stern parent that said, "You have to be friendly." You know, you have to have loving kindness for everyone. You know, it's like give me a break. You know, it's a so we have all these different associations. We have different ways when we operate. Maybe some people are 
more heart-based, some people more body-based, some people more mind-based people. Uh, none of those are better than the other, just different ways of being. And so different ways of approaching this, uh, realizing we have our own individual, very personal way to relate to these concepts and to the, to them, the concept for today, metta. Uh, so you don't have to fit yourself into a mold. This is how it has to be. Uh, you have to f- uh, you kind of find something that um, resonates inside of you, something that you as- that you associate with that's meaningful and purposeful for you, and and it's personal. And then from that personal, you can come out. So whatever you hear today, whatever definitions of loving kindness you hear or read about, um, uh, expand the reference until you find some way that it touches you, that it's uh, is meaningful for you, and from that come out. Don't try to force yourself into someone else's box of how it should be. And this is particularly important with a, a path of purification approach where, you, where there's a very uh, set technique. Uh, it's very structured, it's very technique-oriented, it's very prescribed. And some people find it works great this way, and some people, people find that it just puts them too much in the box that they force themselves into. And, uh, and they find that it's a lot easier to develop loving-kindness if they have permission to be creative. Um, then just kind of do creative and do it whatever way they want. I'll introduce you with some of the prescribed way as a foundation as for it all, but just know that you can be creative with it. Um, I remember one, uh, one of the teachers of Spirit Rock, uh, she learned the, the four set phrases that uh, is done when it's the classic form. And then uh, while she was on a metta retreat and she was doing walking meditation and what worked for her was to uh, put the phrases to a tune and sing them to herself. You know, that's very creative. As opposed to the drill sergeant says, may all beings be happy. <laughs> may I be happy, you know. Whatever goes on. So the idea of being creative and coming from a place that's personal and your personal connection to something that this evokes or reminds you, is, I think is very helpful and important. So I appreciated all these. Thank you very much for doing the exercise. I hope it was nice for you to, to do that. So we'll take a 15-minute break and I'll start again in here at 11.15. Thank you. Yes? Oh, I think we can probably leave them out. Also, we'll use, use them for lunch. So if they're still out there, you can just leave them out, I think. We're probably not going to eat outside. Okay, thank you. <laughs> 